Thank you for listening to this service from Calvary of Albuquerque. It's our hope that this message will help you grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. John Miller was the first guest speaker that we had here in Albuquerque when the church got started. He's with us tonight. Would you please welcome John Miller? What a blessing to be with you tonight. Uh, we just got back today from Glorietta, and what a beautiful, beautiful spot that is. The first time for me to be there and uh, to worship with the men of Calvary and to study the Word together. It was wonderful. It was such a blessing, and to spend some time with Skip today has been a blessing for me as well. On the way out here, I was thinking of how many trips over all the years I've made out to Albuquerque, and every time I come... It's just so amazing to see all that God has done. Skip and I used to go up on a little mountain in San Bernardino and pray together before either one of us were really in full-time ministry or pastoring and just praying, God, take our lives, use our lives, Lord. We just uh, commit them to you. And now to look back some 30 years plus and to see all that God has done has been such a wonderful, wonderful blessing. And uh, certainly God is good. God is gracious and God is merciful, and uh, God's ways and God's purposes are good, perfect, wonderful, and gracious. If you have a Bible with you tonight, I'd like you to open it to the book of Romans, chapter 8, and we're going to look at one of the most wonderful promises that pertains to God's goodness and God's purposes and the providential care of God. The word providence is not mentioned in the Bible, but certainly God's providence is seen throughout all the scriptures. And we're going to look at a verse that uh, I'm sure many of you could quote. You know it. If you don't, it's a verse worthy to put to memory. Romans 8:28. And so I pray tonight that the Spirit of God would take the Word of God and transform our lives into the image of the Son of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you tonight for your word. Your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. We pray that tonight as we open your word that you would open our hearts, open our eyes, open our ears, and allow us to not only hear but receive tonight the word, that it would bring forth a change in our lives. I pray, Lord, that you would encourage and strengthen and minister to the hearts of your people. And if there be any here tonight that do not know you, that you would reveal yourself to them, your grace and your love, and draw them to yourself, that they might be saved. And we'll give you thanks and we'll give you praise. We ask it in Jesus' name and everyone agreeing said. Amen. Romans 8.28, and we're going to read down to verse 30. I want you to follow me in your Bibles. Paul says, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to His purpose. For whom He did foreknow, verse 29, He also did predestinate to be conformed into the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom He did predestinate, them He also called, and whom He called, them He also justified. 
and whom he justified, them he also glorified. Another verse that many of you are no doubt familiar with is 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, where Paul says that if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things pass away, all things become new. As you study Romans chapter 8, you find that as believers, we have a new life. We have a new relationship. We have a new hope. We have a new help. And when we come to verse 28 of Romans chapter 8, we find out so wonderfully that we have a new knowledge. Old things pass away. Behold, all things become new. And one of those wonderful new things is a new knowledge. I understand now as God's child that all the circumstances of my life, God is working in. And He's orchestrating these circumstances for my good and for His glory. That is a wonderful, wonderful knowledge to have as a child of God. We know that all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to His purposes. As Christians, we have absolute assurance of God's providential care. All that comes into our lives is under the control of an all-wise, all-powerful, all-loving Heavenly Father. I don't know what could bring more comfort to your heart than to know that your life is not uh, happenstance, it's not just luck or chance, a group of random circumstances that have no rhyme or meaning, but that you are a child of God, and that God is in control of the affairs of your life. And we're going to see as we dissect this text tonight, and we break it down, that even the bad things God uses for good and for His glory, even those things that we would label bad... God can bring good out of them. As I mentioned, Romans 8.28 is one of the most popular verses in all of the Bible. So much so that when many times a, a Christian's going through a trial or you're facing a difficulty or going through a time of uh, temptation or, or trials in your life, that, that many times we'll, we'll just look at that brother or sister and smile and say, Romans 8.28. And we know what that verse means, and it brings peace and encouragement to our hearts. In Romans chapter 8, from verse 28 to verse 39, Paul soars to sublime heights unequaled elsewhere in the New Testament. The focus of his closing climax of Romans 8 is the security of God's people on account of the unchangeability of God's purpose and the steadfastness of God's love. I like to think about the unchangeability of God's purposes. No one and nothing can thwart the purposes of God. He sits upon the throne in heaven and He rules and reigns sovereignly. Not only that, God is love. And God always acts in perfect consistency with His nature as love. Thus, everything God does is loving. Everything God does is gracious. Everything God does is merciful and kind. God is all wise. What a wonderful thing it is to rest in God's sovereign, providential care 
of our lives. You know, Paul kind of summarized this section of Romans in another epistle, the epistle to the Philippians, chapter 1, verse 6, where Paul said, and we know, and we're confident, that this very thing, that he which has begun a good work in you, will complete it or perform it unto the day of Jesus Christ. There's something that we can know. There's something that we can be confident of. That when God starts a work in our lives, God always finishes that work. You know, we as human beings are great at procrastination. We'll start a book and we get it half read. I don't know how many books I have half read in my office. We'll start a project and it's, it's half done. When I was a teenager, I was supposed to paint my parents' house. And I'll never forget, I got it half painted and, and then just got sidetracked. And, you know, I'm going to go surfing. And I went surfing for about three months, you know, and this house is half painted. I just told my mom, it's the new style. It's called the half paint look. Maybe you start a remodeling inside the home and, and, and it's half done. Maybe it's landscaping the backyard and it's half done. Maybe just some other project and we don't really follow through. I am so glad that God completes what He has begun. Can you imagine if God started to work in your life and then got bored and just kind of put you in the corner? Forgot about you. Hey God, remember me over here? Oh yeah, I'm sorry. I'm kind of busy right now. What God has begun, God will bring to completion. I want to focus on verse 28, and I want to point out five facts about God's providential care. If you're taking notes, they'll be real easy to write down. But as we dissect this wonderful promise in God's Word, I want you to notice these five facts about God's providence. Number one, notice the certainty, the certainty of God's providential Care. It's found very simply in verse 28 in these words, And we know. And we know. Now this is interesting. If you back up for a moment to verse 26, there's something here that Paul says we do not know. It's a contrast. Verse 26 of Romans 8, Likewise, the Spirit also helps our infirmities, our weaknesses. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit Himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Or they are literally wordless prayers. But I do believe that there is intended to be a contrast there. First he says there's something we don't know. And that what we don't know is that many times we don't know how to pray. Have you found that to be true in your life? We don't know, Lord, do I pray for deliverance? Do I pray for strength to bear the trial, go through the trial? Do I pray that you'll take away the trial, which is normally how I pray? God in Jesus' name, take it away right now. Do I pray, Lord, help me to enlist my suffering that I might grow and become more like you? And, and many times when I'm praying for others, people will come and say, Pastor Miller, could you pray for me? I'm sick. You know, I believe that God can use sickness in the life of a believer. I believe that God can be glorified even in our weakness. And I believe that God can heal and I pray for God to heal. But, you know, I don't know what God's plan is. I don't know what God's purpose is. 
So there's many things that, that we do not know. You know, a lot of times people, because you are a pastor, think that you are omniscient. And they ask you these deep theological questions that sometimes there really is no answer to. And so, sometimes they're shocked. They'll say, Pastor Miller, and they'll ask me this deep question, and I'll look at them and say, you know what? Uh, that's a good question, but I do not know the answer. I, I don't know. And they're shocked. I thought you were a pastor. Don't, don't pastors know everything about God? Don't you have a little red phone on your desk? You just pick it up and God's on the other end. Don't you talk to God every day? What's the deal here? There's a lot that we do not know in the Christian life. Deuteronomy 29, verse 29 says, The secret things belong unto the Lord our God. You know, there's a lot of things that God has chosen, and that's the key. Has chosen not to reveal. And what God has chosen not to reveal, we just need to leave with God. But this is a wonderful promise in God's Word that opens with the phrase, And we know. Isn't that great? This is something that we can be sure of. This is something that we can know. Now I want you to notice what it doesn't say. Paul did not say, And we see. Paul did not say, And we feel. Now, we would have liked the verse if it would have said that. Because we like to see. We like to feel. The Bible says, the just shall live by what? The just shall live by faith. Not by sight. Not by feelings. It's wonderful when we can see what God is doing. But that, that's very rare. It's wonderful when we have the joy of the Lord and and God gives us that even in the midst of our sorrow. But our emotions go up and our emotions go down. Our emotions fluctuate. This verse says we know something. And that word know there speaks of an experiential knowledge. A deep knowledge of assurance. Now the question we need to ask is how do we know? The answer, very simple, by faith. We take God at His Word. We believe His person and His promises. If you are a Christian, you need to be a person that lives by the promises in God's Word. That's the only way to live the Christian life. You can't live it by sight. You can't live it by feeling. You live it by faith in the promises found in in God's Word. Now, how do we know all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose? The answer is by faith in God's Word. God has told us in His Word. John Wesley, the founder of Methodism, great English preacher from many years ago, was once walking down a country road with a friend that was discouraged and downcast and was facing quite a few difficulties and didn't see what God was doing in his life. And John Wesley wanted to to minister to him, wasn't sure, but as they walk along, he saw a cow in this open field with his head overstretching this stone wall. Like a flash, John Wesley said, You see, my friend, that cow 
That it's looking up over the stone wall. It's not looking through the stone wall. It's impossible to see through that stone wall. So the cow is lifting its head and looking over the stone wall. We many times, like that cow, are trying to look through a stone wall. As a matter of fact, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13 that that we see as though through a, a glass or a mirror very dimly. Now one day we'll see face to face. But now we we need to lift our sights a little higher. We need to, so to speak, look over the stone wall and see from God's perspective. That God knows what He's doing. That God is on the throne. That God is in control. There's no doubt many of you tonight facing some very challenging circumstances. Maybe it's bereavement. Maybe it's the loss of a loved one. Maybe it's the loss of a job. Maybe it's a loss of your reputation, or maybe it's some other situation that you're facing. Maybe a divorce, maybe sickness, maybe cancer. And you're wondering, what is God doing and why is God allowing this? We need to lift our sights a little higher. We can't can't see through the stone wall. We need to get our focus on eternity. Someone wrote these words in a beautiful little poem. I know not where his islands lift their fronded palms in air, I only know I cannot drift beyond His love and care. Isn't that great? I know that God loves me. And I know that God is in control of the affairs of my life. The second thing I want you to see in this verse is the extent of God's providential care. That's seen in the little phrase, verse 28, All things. All things. Now, in the Greek, that little phrase, all things, means all things. Isn't that profound? (laughs) All things actually means all things. Every event of our life is under His beneficent, sovereign control. So all things would include, again, back up to verse 17 of Romans 8. It would include... Suffering. Notice it. If we are children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God. Joint heirs with Christ. Isn't that an awesome thought? We are children. We are heirs. Joint heirs of God. Joint heirs with Christ. But then notice in verse 17, Paul says, If so be that we suffer with Him. And in the Greek, this is, Since we suffer with Him, we will also be glorified Together, In the very verse where Paul mentions that we are God's children and that we are the heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, you find the word suffering. Being a child of God does not immune you from sorrow and suffering. Someone said there's no such thing as a Christian fallout shelter. The rain falls on the just and the unjust. And this all things would include suffering. It would include sorrow. It would include difficulties. In verse 23, if you'll jump down to that verse there, in the 8th chapter, Paul says, not only they, referring to creation, groaning, but we also, which have the first fruits or the down payment of the Holy Spirit, groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit, the redemption of our bodies. So all things includes suffering, 
All things would include groaning. Creation is groaning. The Christian is groaning. And Romans 8 tells us that the spirit within the believer is groaning in accordance with the will of God. Bereavement, illness, disappointment, children who causes pain, a lack of fruit in Christian service, all of these would be under that category of all things. I love what J. Oswald Sanders said. He said, the circumstances of a Christian's life are ordained of God. There's no such thing as chance. Love refuses to believe that God is not interested in every detail of life. Everything is permitted and designed by Him for His wise purpose. He will not cease His supervision for a moment. One of my favorite commentators and authors is a man by the name of James Montgomery Boyce. He's gone to be with the Lord, but I love his books. And in expounding this text, he mentions when he graduated from high school that his dad gave him a watch and that it was a very unusual watch and that the back of this watch was transparent. And then you could look at the back of this watch and you could see the gears moving in the back of this watch. And he, and he mentioned how some of the gears moved very slowly while other gears moved very quickly. And some were large and some were small and there were springs that were moving. And if you looked at the back of this transparent watch, it, it seems that there was no rhyme or reason to what was going on. But of course, as you turn the watch over and you saw the face... You could see very clearly that it was all harmonized and working together for its designed purpose. And so is the case in our own lives. God takes us all the circumstances of our lives. Sometimes He moves real slow. We're wondering, Lord, you know, you only have a little time. you got to get it on here. Let's go. It's got to be Friday night at 5 o'clock. I need the money. Come on, Lord. Didn't you get my message? I left. God doesn't always work according to our timetable. Have you found that to be true? (laughs) Sometimes God answers prayer immediately. Sometimes He says yes, sometimes He says no, but He always has a plan. He always has a design. Jesus said it like this, Not one sparrow falls to the ground, but what your heavenly Father takes notice. Someone said he, God goes to the funeral of every sparrow. And then Jesus, driving home the application, said, you are of much more value than many sparrows. And next time you get discouraged and you think that God has vacated the throne or forgotten you or doesn't know what's going on in your life, go out and do a little bird watching. I'm serious. Go down to some of the fast food restaurants and notice how God provides for the birds. That's where the big fat sparrows hang out, you know. You drop your french fries and they scoop them up. They don't even have to pay for them. If God provides for the birds, God will provide for you. Jesus said the very hairs of your head are all numbered. God knows you. I love Peter where he says that we should cast our cares upon God. Why? Because He cares for you. We hear so much about the deep love of God, but the thought that God actually cares about me just amazes me. So we don't need to be afraid. God is in control 
and the extent of His care covers every aspect of my life. Thirdly, I want you to notice the harmony of God's providential care. In verse 28, this is seen in the phrase, work together. And we know all things, and then notice, work together. The harmony of God's providential care. Now, something very important for you to know from this text. The King James doesn't make it as clear as it really should. And that is, things in and of and by themselves do not naturally work out for good. This is one verse that is often misquoted and misapplied. You hear people say, oh, don't worry. All things work together for good. And they stop right there. It's not true. All things in and of and by themselves do not all work together for good. Here's the focus of this verse. And perhaps the most important point that you need to grasp. And that is, God is the one who is working in the circumstances of your life for good. In other words, it's not just haphazard circumstances that seem to fall together for good, but God's active care in the affairs of our life. I love the way the Barclay translation renders this. It has, quote, We know that God intermingles all things for good to them who love Him. The emphasis is on God, not your circumstances. And that's where our focus should lie. God. And we know that God is working all things for good because we love Him and we're called according to His purpose. God is working continuously. God is working purposefully. All things. You know, it's great to be out in New Mexico in the fall. We stopped in Santa Fe this afternoon and saw some trees just brilliant with fall colors. They were glorious, beautiful. Southern California, it's 100 degrees all year round, so the leaves don't change colors. And to come out and to, to feel the cool air and to see the change in the leaves. And I, I love fall. Autumn is my favorite time of the year. I wish we could have about six months of, of uh, October, November. You know, it's just so, so wonderful. But you know, God as in nature, has the seasons, right? The summer gives way to fall and fall into winter and winter into spring. And we have the, the four seasons which balance nature. I believe that God does the same in our own lives. We have the summer of joy and the sunshine of His grace. We have the fall where God begins to work in our lives through difficulties and maybe trials. And maybe it moves into the winter period of our lives. Maybe some of you are in the winter right now and the clouds are thick and the storm clouds are looming. And maybe the lightning and the thunder and the rain. You go, yeah, that happens to me 12 months out of the year. It's winter time. Deep, dark winter all year round for me. But winter gives way to spring. And spring into summer. God knows how to balance our lives. God takes all of the things, the good things and the bad things, so-called bad things, and He orchestrates them together for our good. He's like the master painter. 
He takes different colors and he puts them on the easel of our life and he mixes them together. And we might say, oh, oh God, that, that color doesn't really work together with that color. But, but he knows what he's doing. And he begins to paint this beautiful picture. So we understand that God is working together, harmonizing all the affairs of our life. Now the question is, what is the goal or purpose of God's working all things together in our lives? The answer is my fourth point, and that is the results of His providential care. I want you to notice in verse 28 the results of God's providential care in your life and in my life. It's found in the phrase, for good. Isn't that great? For good. Now, let me just tell you right out in the context, and this is why I read down to verse 30, that the ultimate good that God is seeking to work in our lives is found there in verse 29. He says in verse 29, For whom He did foreknow, He also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of His Son. And then notice that He might be the firstborn or the highly exalted one or favored one or the preeminent one among many brethren. It's a reference to Jesus. What is the good that God is working in our lives? The answer conformity to the image of His Son, Jesus Christ. Did you know that that's what God is doing in the life of the believer? From the moment you are saved, theological term is justified. That's the act of God where He declares the believing sinner righteous based on the finished work of Jesus Christ upon the cross. And from that moment, that standing in Christ, in Romans chapter 8 verse 1 says, There's now therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. We are justified. There's no condemnation. Begins what is known as sanctification. Now unlike justification, which is an act of God that happens the moment we believe, and that is not a process, sanctification is a process. It's a lifelong process. And simply stated, it's the process of God working in your life through different means, through His Word, by His Spirit, through our circumstances, through other people, many different ways God works in our lives to sanctify us. He begins a work in our lives of shaping us and molding us and making us like Jesus Christ. Christ, verse 29. So all these things that are working together for good, the good is likeness to Jesus Christ. You go, well, I don't know if I want to be like Jesus Christ. And that's our problem. We want comfort more than character. It's because we value comfort more than character that our trials and our troubles upset us. What is it that you value most? If you value likeness to Jesus, then you'll be able to say, okay, Lord, rain or shine, good things, bad things, whatever it might be, use them to chisel away in my life all that is unlike Jesus Christ. And believe me, a lot of us have a lot to chisel away. 
God takes out the sandpaper, knocks off the rough edges. God takes a little chisel and starts to tink, 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 you know, knock off the rough edges. Some of us, God gives a little stick of dynamite to us and blows us up, you know. Start from scratch with this one. It's almost like we should walk around with a little sign that says, Be patient with me. I'm, I'm under construction. God is working. And the goal of sanctification is likeness to Jesus Christ, and that is a lifelong process. When will it come to its completion? The answer, at the end of verse 30, when we are glorified. Whom He justifies, He glorifies. Done deal. He which hath begun a good work in you will complete it unto the day of Jesus Christ. I am absolutely convinced that God knows what He's doing. When He saves you by His grace, it ends in glory. The great Jonathan Edwards once said, What begins in grace ends in glory. What an awesome thought. And God is working to make me like Jesus. And I just need to surrender to Him and yield to Him and allow Him to work. And I need to value Christ's likeness more than creature comforts. God brings these things into our lives to make us more like Jesus Christ. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, don't turn there, but just let me relate this to you. You all have heard about Paul's thorn in the flesh, right? Paul actually said that this thorn in his flesh was a messenger of Satan to buffet him. Now, would you call that good or bad? You go, oh, that's bad. Ooh, bad, 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 bad. I don't want any thorn in my flesh. I don't want any buffeting. Please, no, Lord. But Paul used a little phrase there in that passage. He said, there was given to me. I would ask you the question, who gave it to him? The answer is not the devil. It wasn't saying, I thought it was a messenger of the, of the devil. I thought it was a messenger of Satan to buffet him. Yeah, but God is the one, as with the case of Job, that allowed Satan to buffet Paul. Because God is sovereign and God is control. And nothing comes into the life of a child of God but what it is filtered through God's love and sovereign providential care and grace. Nothing. All things. And it was given to Paul by God. You go, well, that's not very nice. What kind of a gift is that? Well, if you study that chapter, you know that Paul was caught up in the paradise. He saw and he heard things that would be a crime to utter. And because of Paul's paradise experience, God had to balance that with a painful experience thorn in his flesh. Why? To keep Paul humble. Why would God want to keep Paul humble? To keep Paul usable. God knew that if Paul was lifted up with pride, that he wouldn't be usable. And so it was a gift from God. And Paul said, Lord, I pray that you'd take it away. And he asked God three times, take it away. And God said, no, I won't take it away, but I'll give you my grace. And my grace will be sufficient for you, and my strength will be made perfect in your what? 
weakness. And when Paul heard that, he said, Oh, most gladly, therefore, will I glory in my weaknesses. For when I am weak, then am I strong. And this is when I experience the power of God upon my life. Again, to quote J. Oswald Sanders, he said, Every adverse experience, when rightly received, can carry its quota of good. Bodily pain and weakness causes to feel our frailties. Perplexity reveals our lack of wisdom. Financial reverses point up how limited our resources. Mistakes and failures humble our pride. All these can be included in the term good. Many times what we call good, God calls bad. And what we call bad, God calls good. We need to be careful. God knows what He's doing. And God only brings good into our lives for His glory. One last point I want to make, and again, this is important, and that is, fifthly, the object of His providential care. And it, it's, it's clear to see in the text, really pretty much inferred, but it's an important part of this promise, and that is the object of His providential care is twofold. Them that love God, you see that in verse 28, and those who are called according to His purpose. Now, I believe that Paul is referring to Christians. When Paul says, all things, that's the limitless aspect of this promise. No boundaries here. All things. But then Paul sets boundaries for this text. Borders for this text. And the borders or the boundaries are for those who love God, for those who are called according to His purpose. Now, I'm convinced that to be faithful to this text, that those phrases are a reference to all Christians, every child of God. Them that love God is not some elite group of super saints. Well, I hope I really love God. I hope I really love God because I want all things to work together for good in my life. If you are His child, if you have been born again, if your sins are forgiven, you are a new creation, and you can have this assurance that all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to His purpose. But in saying that, that's not to take away the fact that we as Christians should make the goal and the priority of our lives to do what? Love God. Because when we love God, it kind of takes the sting or the poison, so to speak, out of all the, the painful and difficult experiences of life. Someone came to Jesus and they said, Could you tell me what's the, what's the greatest commandment of all? Now think about that. Jesus Christ, God in the flesh... And he's going to answer the question, what is the greatest commandment of all? And Jesus says, it's this, to love God with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your strength, and all of your might. Isn't that amazing? Second commandment to that is to love your neighbor as yourself. And of course, he was drawing from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5, that we should love God with all of our heart, soul, and might. And I would encourage you tonight... That no matter what you're going through, 
no matter how difficult the circumstances of your life, that you make the focus of your life, the priority of your life, the goal of your life, simply to love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your might. The Bible says we love Him because He first loved us, right? Loving God is just the natural response to His first loving us. John says here in his love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the savior of the world. I love John 3.16, for God so what? Loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him would never perish, but have everlasting life. God loves you tonight. And the natural response for us is to love Him in return. Notice we are called according to His purpose. In verse 30, He mentions that He has called us. Moreover, whom He did predestinate, them He also called. And this call is God's love finding expression in His eternal purpose and his historical call in time and space. A time when you just begin to sense that, that you needed God, and you begin to sense this emptiness in your life, and you begin to be frustrated with life, and you begin to be thinking about God or maybe reading the Bible. I remember as a young man right out of high school, all of a sudden I just sensed this great need for God in my life. I began to read the Bible and found myself crying, tears running down my face. And it was so bizarre to think, what am I doing? I'm reading the Bible and I'm, I'm understanding it. And I hear God speaking to me and God is working in my life. And I just kind of looked around like, this is, this is amazing. That's what the call is referring to. A time in our lives when the Spirit of God comes to call us to Jesus Christ to convict us and to convince us of our sin and our need of Him as our Savior. The Bible says all have sinned. All have fallen short of the glory of God. There is no one righteous. No, not one. We all like sheep have gone astray and we've turned everyone to our own way. But God the Father laid on God the Son all our iniquities. And He went to the cross and He paid the penalty for our sins. And God's Spirit calls us. And maybe He's calling you tonight. Maybe you're not a believer. Maybe you are not, quote, one who loves God. But you can find yourself called according to His purpose. That the Spirit of God begins to knock on the door of your heart and draw you to Jesus Christ. The Bible says today, if you hear His voice, harden not your hearts. God is speaking and God is calling and God is drawing you. What an awesome opportunity that is to give your life to Jesus Christ. And say, Lord, here I am. My life doesn't make sense. I don't know why these things are happening to me. And if you're not a child of God, there's no purpose. There's no rhyme. There's no reason. There's no meaning. You open the paper and look at the horoscope and hope that you have a little smiling face and you'll have a happy day. If it's frowning, you go back to bed for the day. 
the stars aren't aligned right. Oh no, we can't go anywhere. But when you're a Christian, you know that, that, that you're a child of God and everything that happens to you is under His control. That all things are working together for your good and for His glory. If you've never read the book called The Hiding Place, written by a, a woman by the name of Cory Tin Boone, you really should read that book. It's a great, great story. Corey has since gone to be with the Lord, but during World War II and Hall and her family created a hiding place in their home where they were hiding Jews to protect them and smuggle them safely out of the country. Well, they were found out by the Nazis and all arrested and Corey's father was shipped away and died in a concentration camp and Corey and her sister Betsy went to Ravensbrück and faced all the difficulties there of the concentration camp. And through all her wise struggles and trials there, her sister Betsy died. And eventually the hand of God, providential hand of God, provided for her release. Corey went around the world telling others about Jesus and His great love and His great care. And that even in the depths of our despair and the pit, that there's no pit deeper than God's love. And whenever she would address a public audience like we have here tonight, she would conclude by holding up a book marker that was embroidered. And she would hold the backside of this book marker with all of its threads, different lengths, different colors, all tangled and seemed to make no rhyme or reason in its message. And she would say, we look at life as we are looking at the backside of this bookmark. But God sees it from the other side, the right side. And then Corey would lovingly and tactfully, she'd turn the bookmark around. And very clearly embroidered on the front side of that bookmark were the words, God is love. What a powerful message that was. God is love. And how wonderful it is to know that God loves me. And that God is working all things in my life, in your life, in our lives for His good. Again, if you're a child of God tonight, you can know with absolute assurance God is in control. And God has your good in mind. If you're not a child of God, then perhaps He's calling you tonight. And you need to surrender to Him. Give your heart to Him. Give your life to Him. Thank you for listening to this service from Calvary of Albuquerque. If you would like more information about what you've heard in this message or about Calvary of Albuquerque, please visit our website at www.calvaryabq.org. If you have made a decision to follow Christ or would like someone to pray for you, please leave a message with our prayer watch line at 505-344-3658. Thank you and God bless.